Good morning, Crosspoint. Uh, my name is Dave, and we're thankful that you're here. Uh, we don't believe you're here by accident. We believe that the God of the universe is at work, not only in this church, but in our community and in our world, changing lives. To see lives changed by Jesus uh, is why we do what we do. As a church, we believe that anything is possible with our God, that nothing is beyond Him. No hurt is too great, no sin is too much, and no person, including you, is beyond the reach of His love and His grace this morning. We believe that the Bible is God's Word to us. It's not simply a historical book, but it's a book full of God's very words to us as His created people. So each week, we want to keep driving us back to the foundation of, okay, what does God's Word say on this. And listen, you could be here and think, and you could be thinking to yourself, the Bible? I don't know about the Bible. I'm not sure if I believe all that is in there. All right? When I first began exploring who God is, who Jesus is, uh, how these things, how those things impact my life, I wasn't sure if I believed it all either. But then God got, then God got a hold of my heart and life, and I began to see His Word that the Bible was true. And not only that, not, not only was it true, but it was actually relevant to my life, applicable to my daily life. It didn't just speak to my relationship with God, but my relationships with those around me and ultimately my life. So if you don't own a Bible, if the one you uh, have is difficult to carry around, difficult to understand or read, we'd love for you to take one of the free ones at Guest Connections. And in there, you'll find some encouragement, some directions about where to start, how to start reading. And I'd encourage you to start in the book of John, get to know who Jesus is. Today, we're in week four of our series called Listen. We'll be in the book of Proverbs, chapter 4. So if you have a Bible, you can go there if you have, uh, and open to that book right toward the middle of your Bible. Listen, this is a command that parents have been saying for generations. It's also a command that's found throughout the book of Proverbs, a book that is chocked full of God's wisdom and practical advice that will encourage us, whether we're parents or not, in how we invest and raise and uh, love the next generation. Heather and I have two kids. Uh, Maddie's turning 15 this, uh, this week on Wednesday, and Eli turns 13 next month. Two teenagers in our home this summer. You can pray for us now. That would be fantastic. Um, now, I say that, and yes, we covet, our pre- covet your prayers. I hope you pray for us. That'd be, um, we'd be really appreciative, appreciative of that. But, but we are actually loving the stage of life we are in as parents right now. The teenage years uh, don't have to be brutal. And I know we're early in the teenage experience, and some of you might be thinking, oh, just wait, you just wait, all right? You could be that kind of person. But I think, but I don't think we have to walk into teenage years with this doom and gloom attitude. Just like I don't think we have to approach the terrible twos, so-called, as if they're just going to be, as if the child's just going to be horrific and horrendous, all right? Uh, We should be parenting in light of the glorious hope we have in Jesus that we serve a sovereign God, who holds all things together in his hands, and his grace is sufficient, especially when we are at our weakest. In many ways, this series is one for parents to charge us to consider what we're passing on to the next generation, but I think it's more than that. Uh, This is for students and adults, for each of us who are here or listening on the podcast, that we would ultimately listen to the truth of God's word, and not just listen, but receive it welcome it into our hearts, begin to apply it to our daily lives. If all we do is gather information and knowledge and it doesn't lead to any sort of transformation, any sort of life change, then we're missing the point of what it means to follow Jesus. We're missing the point of reading our Bibles if we're simply trying to gain knowledge and not allowing it to lead to transformation. God has given us the opportunity, Heather and I, to be parents. We're grateful. We love our kids. We pray for, we defend, we discipline 
correct, encourage, listen to them, lead them, provide for them. And here's another thing we do for our kids. We dream big dreams for them too. The past few weeks, I've had these 13 values or rules up here on the stage to keep encouraging you to look at God's Word, to talk with one another if you're married, to pray, and to come up with some values that will lead you to making disciples of Jesus in your own home. One of our values on here is toward the bottom. I'm not sure if you can see it or not, but walk by faith, take risks, and live fully the adventure God has you on. Uh, So we dream big dreams for our kids, not necessarily for their earthly success, but that God would use their way of life, their words to impact other people that they would be used by God for God's purposes in this world and in their generation. We dream that our ceiling would be their floor, if that makes sense, that they would take their faith in Christ further than their mom and dad, that no matter what God wants them to do, calls them to do vocationally or what he has in store for them relationally, that they would not be afraid to take risks or to walk by faith and not by sight, that they would not settle for a faith that believes God for small things or just kind of boxes God into this little formulaic small God or prays about something and yet, doubt, and yet doubts that God can even answer that very prayer. So we dream big dreams for our kids. I think that's part of a parent's role, to speak words of life, vision, God's call on their life, to help your child see past their own belly button and trust God that he has plans and purposes for their life and we don't want that next generation to miss it. If you're a parent in here and you love Jesus, then the Bible says the greatest things we can do to help our children, to, 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 to raise them, is to help them love Jesus as well. That they would live out the greatest commandment, that they would obey the greatest commandment, to love God with everything that they have, love their neighbor as themselves, that to give their life to someone greater than, than themselves, that someone greater being God Almighty, that that kind of life is the only life worth living. It's the greatest life you can live. So if you're a parent, can you relate to dreaming big dreams for your kids? Or if you're in a role, maybe, maybe you're not a parent, but you're in a role of uh, working with students, whether it's at work or in a community, maybe here at Crosspoint, investing in, into Sun Chasers or Hype. But can you relate to this, this desire to dream big dreams for your children? Sure you can. We all want something better for the generation that follows us. Now, in order to get there as a parent, you're in a sense trying to reach down deep into that child. You're not simply providing for them or feeding them, giving them a bed to sleep in. Uh, Your desire is to reach down deep in there, to not just help them as a student, an artist, an athlete, a craftsman, those kind of things. But you're ultimately trying to get to their heart because in the heart is where you find the emotions, affections, feelings, desires. In the heart is where convictions are built and they're established. And convictions lead to actions. And actions then over time lead to a specific course of life, a certain direction for all of their life. And as a parent, you have dreams about where your child's life course will go. For many of us, we look at our childhood or our current course of life and go, I I want something different for the generation that follows me. I, want them, I don't want them to uh, fall into the traps that maybe I did or the sin that entangled me or the broken relationships that I experienced. I want a different course of life for them from what I experienced. Or I want to help them avoid some be- big detours or rabbit trails that I spent years on that led me away from Jesus and the things of God. 
And I want them to begin this adventure of following Jesus sooner in their life. And today, the truth that we want to talk about, that we want the next generation to listen to, is this. Listen, guard your heart. Because what we find in Proverbs is this little verse that reminds us that out of our hearts flow all of life. That the heart is the beginning point that determines the course of life for a person. As a father, as a mom, as a parent, you're going to say a lot of words to your children. And this phrase of guard your heart is one that we must be saying and living out. Listen to Proverbs 4.23. This is where it's found. And I've got three different translations up on the screen, all three that I, I really respect and enjoy because it kind of gives, a, gives me a, a, a really easy way to kind of get a better understanding of this verse. So first of all, in the NIV, Proverbs 4.23 says this, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. And then in the ESV, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. And then in the NLT, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Now, what about the context of verse uh, 23? What about the context of Proverbs 4? Because anytime you read, this, read Scripture, you don't want to just focus on this one verse, and you got to zoom back out and look at the context of it. So let's look at the context. The first couple of verses of chapter 4 says this, Listen, my sons, to a father's instruction. Pay attention and gain understanding. I give you sound learning, so do not forsake my teaching. So this context is a father talking to a son, a parent talking to a child, and that son being called to pay attention, to listen, so that they can gain understanding. And then later in Proverbs 4, it says this, starting in verse 20, My son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Do not, do not let them out of your sight. Keep them, keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Keep your mouth free of perversity. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful attention to the paths for your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or the left. Keep your foot from evil. So you get this picture of a father talking to his son, speaking life into his son, and the son is listening. And the father is giving words that really are going to guide this son's life. Pay attention. Don't forget these words. Don't let them out of your sight because if you listen... These words will help set the course or the direction of your life. And tucked right in the middle of those seven verses is verse 23. Above all else, before you worry about the words you speak or where your feet step or where you will be five years from now or what you will do for a job or who you will marry or if you will marry or if you will go to college or where you will go to college or where you will live, above all of that, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. For it determines the course of your life. Our hearts are extremely valuable. I leave my garbage cans sit out all night. I could probably leave them sit out all week. Why? Because they are worthless. All right? They have wheels. They transport garbage from the garbage, from the garage to the roadside, but they are worthless. They can sit unguarded at night and be just fine. We lock our house, though, when we are gone because it's not worthless. If you're married, you desire to guard your marriage. If you're single and you, and you desire for marriage someday, you desire to kind of guard that future marriage. If you have kids, you, you protect and you guard your children. 
We guard or value, or we guard or protect what is valuable to us or has worth. Our hearts are extremely valuable, and this is one reason we guard them. In the Bible, the heart is, is like the life center of all we are. It's the totality of who we are on the inside, our emotions, desires, will, attitudes. This is the core of who we are, the wellspring, as verse 23 says. Jesus said, out of, the, out of our hearts, our mouth speaks. Out of our hearts, the choices, we, we make the choices that we do out of our hearts. Romans 5.5 5 tells us that for those who follow and believe in Jesus, that God's love has been poured out into their hearts through the Holy Spirit. In short, if, if you're born again, if you've trusted Jesus as, our, as your Savior, there's a goodness to our heart that has to be protected, that has to be guarded. And yet the New Testament also talks about how that even those who are in Christ, there are things that can go wrong in our hearts. James 3.14 tells us that we can have selfish ambition in our heart. Or Jeremiah 17.9 in the Old Testament says that our hearts, apart from faith in Christ, that our hearts on their own are deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. When we get saved, though, our dead hearts of, uh, our dead hearts of stone get transformed. And Jesus, instead of that heart of stone, gives us a heart of flesh, is what Ezekiel 36, 26 would tell us. At the end of the day, Jesus is after your heart. He's after my heart. Because when he has our hearts, he has all of us. To follow Jesus is not this partial surrender thing. It's not part of my week. It's not part of my life. Kind of like this. Oh, Jesus, yeah, I surrender, and then I'm kind of holding on to my weapon behind my back. It's a full-on surrender. I'm going to drop any trust that I have in myself, any faith I have in, in myself. I'm going to trust, put my trust and faith in you and you alone. It's a full-on surrender, saying, with my heart, you have all of me. Knowing our hearts are really at the core of who we are, then it makes sense that we are commanded to guard our hearts because, again, our hearts, is, uh, whoever is Lord of our hearts determines the course of our life, the pattern, the, the direction of our life. So what does it mean to guard your heart? Well, some of you, if you grew up in church, you probably heard this phrase over and over applied to dating. It was a phrase that challenged you to purity in dating and to avoid sexual immorality. But to, but to guard your heart is not just a truth for the singles and the dating crowd. If we make it out to only apply to that context, then we're really selling short the meaning of this verse and the application of this verse. To guard your heart above all things means you're paying attention to what's going on in the deepest core of what is inside of you. Your thoughts, emotions, attitudes, choices. In a sense, to guard your heart means that, that you tend to or that you're aware of the health or the condition of your soul. Probably one of the best ways to describe what guarding your heart is, is is to describe and talk about what it is not. When I was in high school, I was driving my dad's truck into school for corral practice, all right? And I was driving along this country road, and the truck had some stuff on the passenger's floor mat that needed to p- be picked up. And I can't remember what it was, if it was garbage, if it was uh, a pap- some papers, wrappers, I'm not sure. But in my OCD brain... All right, I wanted to pick that up, and I wanted to pick it up now because after this practice, I was going to drive my then-girlfriend at the, at the time. I was going to drive her home after corral practice. On a side note, my girlfriend 
was cute. And I see her around town a lot, and she is still so cute. And she's my wife. And some of you don't, don't know me. We're like, well, I can't believe he's doing that. Um, that'd be awkward. But no, she's my wife. And, um, and so I wanted to get both things done at once. I wanted to be able to drive. I wanted to pick this thing up because I wanted the car to be, or the truck to be picked up by the time I would take her home. So I was driving, picking this, picking this stuff up while also driving. It's what scientists call a bad idea. And you know where this is going. I took my eyes off the road. I lean this way. My hand, my left hand goes with, the, goes with my body, all right? And I land in a ditch. I, I don't wake up, but just a few momentary seconds later, I land in a ditch against some barbed wire. Thankfully, by the grace of God, I missed a couple telephone poles, but the barbed wire did some wondrous damage to my dad's truck and to that uh, farmer's fence, all right? When it comes to guarding our hearts, if we take our eyes off of Jesus, if we take our eyes off of what's fixed up ahead, we can land in one of two ditches, ditches that don't necessarily reflect what Proverbs 4.23 is actually talking about. And here's the first thought or ditch that we can run into. To guard our hearts does not mean that we will avoid all pain and hurt in life and relationships. It's the ditch of self-protection where we guard our hearts in such a way where we think we will never get hurt. That our, our friendships and relationships, if this is the case, are shallow at best. We keep people at arm's length. No one really knows us very well and we like it that way. It's how we've designed our life to operate. That might be because of past hurt or some other factor, but we have guarded our hearts to such a degree that we think that we will avoid heartache when in fact we're just avoiding experiencing love. As followers of Christ, we are not to live in a way that is walled off or, or isolated. Maybe you've heard this before. Well, you got, hurt, I mean, you got hurt in a romantic relationship, and the first thing you heard was, well, you just didn't guard your heart. As if the reason, the only reason you got hurt is because you didn't guard your heart. No parent in here, let alone an adult in here, enjoys to see a child's heart get hurt or broken. No one likes to see a child or student go through pain. So sometimes in an attempt to try to help them avoid pain, avoid a broken heart, we throw out this, guard your heart, guard your heart, guard your heart. But listen, we can't make the promise that if they guard their heart, that they will avoid all pain, all hurt, all brokenness. Because if we make that promise, it's just an outright lie. C.S. Lewis, he's a factory of wise quotes, the human factory of wise quotes. He said this as it relates to the false idea of guarding your heart in an attempt to avoid hurt or pain. To love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must keep your heart you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. So we should not lock up our hearts in such a way that we don't allow our hearts to break with compassion for others, for example, or enter into the glorious mess of relationships and reaching loved ones around us. 
So if we fall into this ditch, then we really set up our hearts to, to become hard. Not only to those around us, but ultimately, and worse yet, to our God. To guard your heart doesn't mean to suffocate your heart. To guard your heart also does not mean that you should never date anyone, or that you, sh- you should never have crushes. To guard your heart doesn't mean that you're unfriendly to the opposite sex, like, oh, I can't, I can't make eye contact with you because, you know, I'm, I'm guarding my heart, and I think you're really cute, but I can't make eye contact with you. Not, that's just silliness. To love someone means that we must become vulnerable. To love someone means that we will have to open up our hearts and not wall them off in such a way where they lay safe, but they lay motionless and lifeless in a casket. On the flip side, on the other side of this country road called guarding your heart is a ditch called being careless. This is what I was when I made that drive back in high school. I got careless and I took my eyes off the road. To guard your heart means that we will actually guard our heart, that we will keep it with all vigilance. So yes, don't suffocate your heart in an attempt to avoid pain. You're going to get hurt. You're going to have trouble. But that also doesn't mean that you should become flippant about your heart and leave it unguarded. When we are careless with our heart, we put ourselves in a position that is bound to get us hurt. So we start to walk down relational paths that really aren't healthy and God-honoring. But we do it anyways because we really don't care what God's Word says. We really don't care what God's opinion is on this. If, if you're a student, we really don't care what our parents think. And we blindly listen to this advice of follow your heart, and we find Instagram pictures that, that show us what we're supposed to follow our heart, and they, they kind of represent what our heart is already saying, and we dive into intimate relationships without hesitation and without wisdom. So we live in a world that is spiritual. John 10.10 10 tells us that our devil, that the devil, our spiritual enemy, is out to steal, kill, and destroy. It's a very simple mission statement. 1 Peter 5.8 compares the devil to a, a lion that prowls around looking for someone to devour. So God's will for us is to be watchful, in other words, to guard our hearts. And by doing so, guard our lives or guard the course of our life. In romantic relationships, there's a major difference between guarding your heart and giving them away without hesitation. So when we date, it should be full of wisdom and discernment. In our Song of Solomon series, chapter 8, he's talking talking about the heart of Solomon's bride, comparing it between a wall and a door. And he's talking about that that you you want a heart that's similar to a wall. It's guarding your heart. You don't want to have a heart that's like a door where just any person can walk in and out, where you allow pieces of your heart to go to just anyone who shows the slightest bit of interest in you. Years ago, as parents, when our daughter Maddie was much, much younger, Heather had the brilliant idea. All good ideas come from moms, I think. But um, Heather had this idea of a marble jar and comparing the, the truth of guarding your heart to this marble jar. And to this day, we talk about this. This jar of marbles here sits in Maddie's room, and we talk about it not just with Maddie, but with Eli as well, with both of them when it comes to the pursuit of, of romantic love and what guarding your heart means and uh, it's not, again, it's not the only application, but it is one of them of verse 23. But what we told Maddie was this, is this, this, this marble jar represents your heart. And as you walk through relationships with boys, you want to avoid simply just giving away pieces of your heart to just anyone, where we throw one this way and, 
yeah, well, I, I like that boy. And, well, yeah, I gave him a little bit of my heart. And we just kind of give away pieces of our heart throughout the course of the relationship. Because if you fast forward is what we tell her. If you fast forward someday when you get married to a godly man, our, our prayer is that you would be able to say, I guarded my heart for you. I cared for my heart for you. And then we also pray for the same thing for him, that he's doing the same thing. We don't know uh, who our children's spouses will be years from now, but we're praying for them. We're praying for them right now and that they would be guarding their heart. One way we're careless with our hearts is when we cross physical boundaries prior to marriage. It's definitely not the only way, but it is a big way that we start to give away pieces of our heart to someone who may or may not become our spouse. We get flippant. We get careless. And so we want to guard our hearts. We don't, want the, to be, we don't want them to be careless with them. And yet we also don't want to suffocate them in this attempt to avoid hurt or pain. Now, in this analogy of a jar of marbles, let me point out this. And for some of you, uh, you feel like you've dropped pieces of your heart. Maybe it feels a bit like this. Maybe it feels a bit like that over the course of your life that you've poured out pieces of your heart along the way, maybe in this relationship and this relationship and that broken one and that broken one, and it feels like much of your heart has just been emptied out. Here's what man-made religion would say. Well, you're beyond hope. And sorry, you messed up. You sinned. You can see that, right? You broke God's commands. And, he, and here's what you better do. You better try to clean this up on your own. I mean, you better kind of scramble down there and try to pick up your heart and repair and restore your own heart. Maybe what you should do is do a lot of good all of a sudden to try to outweigh all the, all the broken and all the bad. Looks like your heart is broken, and better, you'd better fix that. You'd better do this. You'd, you'd better get a hold of that. You'd better stop. But this is what the gospel says. Isaiah 43, 18 and 19. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. The good news of Jesus Christ is this, that you bring your broken, you bring your tired, you bring your weary heart. And in the gospel, Jesus restores your heart. A heart that has been left unguarded for years doesn't mean that it's a heart that is beyond the reach of God's restoration work or a heart that is beyond the reach of God's love. See, God makes all things new in the gospel. And many of you know this because you've, you've experienced and you are experiencing the amazing grace of God that covers our sin, that God takes the tired and the tattered heart and says, trust me to put it back together. Stop trying to fix this on your own. Stop trying to do more good to outweigh the bad. You just follow me is what Jesus says. You give your life and heart to me and I will do what only I can do, which is heal the human heart and make it whole again through his love and through his grace. As parents, we want to help shepherd our young children to guard their hearts, protect the marbles, so to speak. But also, we must teach our children the gospel that when they screw up and they mess up and they will, I mean, some of you have toddlers and they're like, this child will never, they will, they're going to mess up. And so you need to teach them the gospel that when they mess up, 
This gospel is God's grace at work in their life, and it's for them. They don't earn God's love by obedience. They are loved simply because they're created by God. We need to teach our children the gospel and not morality. So some practical ideas and application about how we help the next generation guard their hearts. First one is media and technology. In our world, we need to be aware of what our kids are taking in media-wise, whether it's through devices, phones, TV. Do you know who your kids follow on Instagram or the potential dangers of Snapchat? Don't just assume that's going to be fine. They'll, they'll be fine. Don't just assume they're good kids because then you're assuming that that devil, the lion, has stopped prowling around. We've sat down with our kids together and looked through social media and looked through their Instagram feed and those kind of things and talked through, okay, what's wise? What's God honoring? Is this going to lead you to honor God or are you being entertained by sin? All that, We're having conversations with them. We're not just kind of privately like unfollow, unfollow. We're having a conversation with them, equipping them because someday they won't be in our home. And so we actually need to equip them and not just do it for them. Above all else, guard your heart. Above all else, to keep with all vigilance means that we will not neglect our hearts. Again, you don't want to fall into the ditch of being careless and allow just anything to pass through your heart and mind. The next thought is this, to guard your heart is not simply a bunch of rules. Parents, to help your child guard their heart, don't just give them a vast list of rules to follow or a long list of don'ts. Because that's, if that's all we do, then we're simply changing the outward behavior, but we're never transforming their heart. And so then they will leave us and they will depart from it because it, it, all it was was a list of outside, outward rules. Parents, to help your child guard their heart means you're pointing them to Christ. To be a person of biblical faith is not about following a set of rules. It's, it's about following a person. His name is Jesus. Here's another thought. Parents, share your own stories of how you left your own heart unguarded. Talk about your failings, not just your successes. Be honest. What happened when you left your heart unguarded? How have you experienced God's grace in your life? It might just lead to your child being authentic as well. Because if you desire to have an open, honest, authentic relationship with your child, then as a parent, you set the tone. Don't just expect them to go first because they won't. They're waiting on you. Another idea, parents make up potential scenarios with your kids in a time of non-conflict or prior to it actually happening, All right? For example, talk around, talk around the dinner table, you're driving in the car, you're walking along the road, those kind of things. What does guarding in your heart uh, look like when your buddy looks at porn on his phone or computer because it's going to happen? It's going to happen. So what are you going to do about it? Let's, let's talk about that. What about when you're in a dating relationship and the girl or boy, the man or woman wants to push that relationship further than you want to push it past physical boundaries. What are you going to do about that? Let's talk about that. You're not talking about it after the fact. You're talking about it. You're being proactive and you're talking about it beforehand. What about when your friend, you know, they, they, their voice goes this, and it's gossip. Because that's just like immediate thing, immediate trigger you can see when somebody goes, just gossip, bing, red flag. What are you going to do about it? Are you going to listen to it? Are you going to shut it down? What are you going to do about it? Let's talk about that. So you're coming up with situations to help your kids prepare for them. You're equipping them. 
Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. All of life flows from our hearts. Springs of water can become toxic, but, to- but, but springs don't become toxic overnight. If that source gets poisoned, then, then what flows out of it becomes toxic. Now, on the positive side of things, though, if we guard our hearts, then life will flow from them. So we don't simply guard our hearts in this kind of hunker down bomb shelter. We've got to avoid the bad stuff in life. But we guard our hearts to also prepare to be used by God for greater things in this world. John Flavel, a Puritan writer in the 1600s, said this. He said our hearts are like a musical instrument. You tune it and you've got, a, you've got it just right and then you hang it on the wall for a few days and then it goes out of tune and, and, you, and then you tune it again and, and then somebody, somebody bumps it something bumps it, and it's out of tune again. And he said, our hearts are like that, that they can be right with God, and then something disrupts them, or we neglect them, and, we, and then our hearts begin to stray. Our hearts naturally want to drift, not toward the things of God, but toward the things of self. And God calls us to guard our hearts. We do that when we're consistently opening up our Bibles and reading God's Word, and when we're praying and talking to our Father in heaven, saying, search me, know me. Is there... Is there anything in me that is offensive to you, Lord? We also guard our hearts when we're doing life in biblical community where there are people around us who actually know us and they know us, who we've opened ourselves up to and vice versa. They know the darkness of our hearts. They know the tendencies of our heart. And so we stand together to help guard our hearts. When we're driving, for instance, my wife helps me point out blind spots, especially if there's like we're Chicago, St. Louis, some heavy traffic. Honey, do you see anything over there? We need people in our lives to notice the blind spots of our hearts because there will be blind spots in your heart. There are right now. There are in mine. And we need some brothers and sisters in the family of God around us to help point out these blind spots. I I see this in you. And I love you enough to share this with you and vice versa. Oswald Chambers writes about how believers should pursue the art of abandonment that the best way to guard your heart is to abandon your heart to Jesus. Philippians 4 then gives us this great promise that in Christ our hearts are guarded. See, the beautiful thing is God didn't just say, good luck with guarding your heart because it's going to be difficult and your heart is deceitful and good luck with that one. No, what he said is in Christ your heart is guarded. He's the guardian of your heart. So we don't have to suffocate our hearts to avoid trying to be hurt Or we don't have to become careless with our hearts as if they have no worth or value. Instead, we can run to God and we can ask Him to help us guard our hearts. Again, this is His grace at work in our lives, helping us protect them and surrender our hearts to Him for His purposes. The band's going to come back up now. And we're going to respond in singing and worship. The the song that we're going to sing, it's simple lyrics, but it says so much. And the prayer is this, here's my heart, Lord. My prayer for you students is that you would declare, here is my heart, Lord. That he would be the one you would pursue in such a way that he would guard your heart. And in doing so, he would enable that to happen. For the parents who are here, I pray that we would declare together as individuals out there, here is my heart, Lord. No matter the stage of uh, of your child's life. Because we know that we can't pass on to our children what we don't already possess. And so we have to first say, here's my heart, Lord, before I can expect him or her to do that. My hope is that together as a church, all of us, that this would be our prayer. Here's my heart, Lord. You can take all of us. 
We surrender to you whatever you want to do in and through us for your purposes. We will say yes. If it makes sense for you as we sing the song, if this is a reflection of your heart, then lift up your hands and surrender to to demonstrate the cry of your heart. Here's my heart, Lord. If you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, I pray that in this song that you would give your life to him. Men, this is not a romantic, flowery thing. This is a surrender thing. This is a surrender thing. Who are you going to trust in when it comes to eternity? Who are you going to follow in this life, let alone eternity? Who are you going to follow today? Who are you going to follow this week? If you need prayer at all during this song or afterwards, volunteers will be near the front. They'd be honored to pray with you. This is a safe place. Let's pray and let's stand up. Jesus, in this moment, teach us to abandon our hearts to you, to fully surrender them, not just in this song, but daily, weekly, from this point forward, moment by moment, we abandon our hearts to you. Lord, as a church, we declare together that our heart is yours. Move in this place, in the midst of us this morning. Draw us close to you. Break down the walls that we built up that keep us from you. God, remind us today that you are not only the guardian of our hearts, but Lord, that you are the uh, redeemer, you are the restorer, you are the healer of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.
20 through 27 again says, My son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them, keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. Verse 23, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Keep your mouth free of perversity. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to the paths for your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or the left. Keep your foot from evil. Father, that is our prayer, that we would, as we walk, we would fix our eyes directly upon you, that we would gaze upon you, that we would live with a, a life that is centered on the gospel and fully aware of who we are in Christ and what you've done for us and that it's your grace at work in and through us. Thank you that ultimately in you, you guard our hearts. Not only that, but you heal, you restore, you redeem our hearts. Thank you for that truth. God, we want to listen to you this week. So help us to do that. May your voice be loud in our lives. May, as we open up the word, may we hear from you. As we pray, may we hear from you. God, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. And we love you. In your name, amen. I'd encourage you to get involved. VBS is coming up in a few weeks and the palm tree back there will kind of be a lighthouse to you as far as where VBS Central is. I encourage you to get there, sign up, volunteer, figure out how you can be involved, meet somebody new this week. If you're new with us, 
fill out a connection card that'll help us get you stay in the know. If you need prayer for anything, feel free to come up. There are volunteers up here after the service. God bless. Have a good week.